Straight Jack, episode 21, I believe. Each fortnight, uh, we pick three films, a new release, a post-2000 release, and a pre-2000 release, all linked by a theme. This week's new release was chosen by... Myself, Robert. The film was... Birth of a Nation. The theme was... Directorial Debuts. So, Birth of a Nation is about uh, Nat Turner, who is a slave come preacher. It's set in the 19th century, and it's about the uprising, the what has now been dubbed, I think, the Nat, Nat Turner Uprising. Mm. Catchy name. I know, right? Yeah. Can, just before we go any further, can I ask, do we address the controversy behind this film? Y- yes, but yeah, sure. Um, we, our lawyers have said we've got to be very careful about what we say. She might have heard of Birth of a Nation due to its controversy surrounding the director, Nate Parker, or, or perhaps because of the following it got coming out of Sundance. It was mm. get glowing reviews, wasn't it? Five, said, five stars It was initially the, the record ever paid for a, to a distribute a yeah. film from Sun, in Sundance's yeah. history. For, for something with a fairly small budget, I think it was around $8 million, Yeah, um, it got snapped up by Fox for a record fee. And then just before release... Uh, all this controversy came out about Nate himself. Uh, and, and one of the producers. Pre- and one of the producers and, yeah. Sorry, and one of the producers and his previous... Co- it's not a conviction. It's a rape allegation. Uh, he, he wasn't convicted. Uh, the, the producer was convicted. But then but was at there a retrial. Yeah. Yeah. But, but so it, the, the only thing we can agree on is we've got no idea. Yeah, We've and, got but, no idea what happened. And we, we can't... We can't go around basing our judgment of films on things that we simply don't know anything about. Exactly. Or else we'd never watch another Woody Allen film. Well, and, and that would be more yeah. Polanski. Yeah. Or watch another Ben Affleck film. Uh, sorry, Casey Affleck. Uh, to add to this, read a very interesting article saying the re- part of it, the press won't let uh, Nate Parker forget it is because of the colour of his skin even though technically by law the thing's done, whereas Casey Affleck is a well, apparently, renowned sex pest. And because he's of the Affleck family and white, again, I don't know if Casey Affleck did anything, but there's been a lot of race debate about this film being, this story being adapted. Then there's this whole extra layer of American history as well. I mean, the name of the title is... It's. I thought initially it was a remake, but it's not. It's the same title as D.W. Griffith's mm. 1916 film, which is very famous for portraying in a courtroom scene, and I think in other scenes, it's like four hours long, black people were portrayed as physically as monkeys in clothes in that film. And so this is his him addressing that. There's a lot of controversy. There's a lot. A lot of controversy. And for the next 15 minutes, we're going to have to put it to one side. Yes. Because it's we're talking about the film here. Absolutely, objectively. There's been a very limited marketing campaign. I had hardly heard of it, and if not for the contra- controversy, I don't think I would have. I haven't seen a trailer. I mean, oh, sorry, I've seen a trailer online, but that's you know me actively seeking it out. I haven't seen any on TV. I, when I've told people, you know, both um, sort of cinephiles and people who don't really aren't bothered by sort of films, no one had ever heard of it. It, it really for for a film that got such an incredible reception out of um, Sundance and all the hysteria that came behind it, I was I'm surprised how few people have actually heard of this film. But anyway, 
did the film itself <laughs> is <laughs> all to one side. But again, we still can't. We still sat through. We it. still can't talk through talk about this film because about on its own merit because twelve years a slave happened, and I don't know if that's. I feel like that is the most important talking point of this whole thing because that is still so fresh in the memory, and that is comfortably. I know for a fact Robbie does not agree with me, but it's comfortably the best film ever made about slavery and about sort of black identity in America and just both for its story and its its acting, its directing, its craft. And this was... I don't know if that's maybe why. Maybe, maybe America... I suppose we're talking about marketing over here, but America probably is already sick of... That 12 Years of Slave was so recent, they already still feel dreadful for their... Mm their history based on that but yeah I mean I'm very I'm fully aware of how wrong I am in saying that I didn't enjoy 12 Years a Slave I'm the only one I've ever met who hasn't this on the other hand <gasps> I was pleasantly surprised by <gasps> and it I found it very heavy and I found it very affecting I felt this film I felt like I was understanding what he was trying to portray and it was it was a good good two hours spent for me yeah, sadly, I feel very, very differently about it. I think for me, it is sort of derivative of some things that we've already seen in 12 years, I think is always going to be a comparison that's brought up because not only is it so fresh in the memory, but because when we talk about slavery, I think 12 years opened the uh, opened many people's eyes to the atrocities of, of slavery f- from a cinematic point of view and did, a, in my opinion anyway, a, a, very good, a very good job of doing that. For me, 12 years was better at presenting slavery. For me, Selma did a better job of, of presenting preaching and, and those kind of scenes of, of, of inspiration than, than this film did. This film, I, could, I couldn't believe how how terrible this film was the first hour, hour and a half maybe. I mean, I, you... I, I genuinely was... I, I, I was... Lo- this, I was looking around to see if other people were. were I mean, I, I laughed. I laughed a couple of times. I couldn't believe what was it that what I was seeing because I, I did feel like it was it was made for the the ADD generation. It was it was very quick. That, the, what, the so disjointed. These very, short, not not like Edgar Wright short sharp cuts, but short no. sharp scenes that built up absolutely no momentum whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure if it was trying to, but even if it was, it's almost like this film was supposed to be three hours. Yeah, and they just cut probably about two hours from the first. 30 minutes and just rifled through all of that stuff it's got some strengths this one but direction is not one of them it, it does it does have some strength and, I, and, and <laughs> some strength uh, you know it, singular which I'll come on to but I think for me I, I, I agree it, it is it's too it, it tries to do it far too efficiently to, to its detriment in the end he was obviously supposed to be a preacher and a very good one supposedly but to me was a terrible preacher like I didn't and, and I know it's difficult to understand this but Watching him and hearing him, I didn't get any kind of inspiration. I didn't get any kind of vibe that this this was an inspirational words and passion that and enthusiasm that he was saying. And I know he was trying to do it in a cryptic way to not sort of tip off his those who were obviously almost like the Trojan horse of of inspiring slavery. They'd they didn't realise what they were actually putting into putting him in front of. But I I really didn't get. And that's why I mentioned Selma, because I know you can't compare him to Martin Luther King, but I think David Yellowo in that. I mean, some of the speeches, Martin Luther King's speeches in, in Selma were all new and constructed because they didn't have the rights to Martin Luther King's speeches. So they were all new. They were all completely um, sort of fabricated, but they were tremendous. And I got, I was inspired by by just listening to that and seeing sort of Yellowo's performance, whereas in this, I didn't get anything. I mean, 
Nate Parker seems to think that blinking a lot is basically the only way to get across that he's feeling emotional about something. That's I, his only way. He I, that, for me, I, I know that that's that was my reaction to it, I, and I think it lost me at that point. Clearly, you can tell that I was so negative about it. Not to knock on Nate again, but yeah, I don't think acting. He's not a great actor, and he's obviously not a very good. He's not a very good director. But I, I quite like the preacher scenes. There was one in particular. I'm not sure which one it was, but there was one sort of I think more towards the end where a few hairs did go up I can't remember I think was that when maybe his master wasn't there and he was allowed to be a lot less refrained because he became was, a lot more passionate there was one certainly and then they started to nod. one I mean, that really that I thought he did get everyone riled up and it was quite uh, inspirational but there was one though sorry to, to interrupt but there was one where a pretty lady come, comes in at the back and he says good lord in mid-speech something. <laughs> oh that was hilarious Christ, no it wasn't it was terrible I couldn't believe oh, that it's, it's very cliche in points it's yeah. really on the nose and I just thought there oh is... you're trying to, you're aspiring to be so much more than that that was such a shame and I think that was quite early on that that happened as well and that when I said before that I laughed a few times that was one of the times where I thought guys is everyone else did everyone else see and hear exactly what I've just that seen was, on screen that well. was really cute right I can't believe I'm I think, saying that. I, th- anyway. I think when some, when something's cliche, especially me, it's so easy and it's the natural response is to go, oh, I've seen it all before, or are oh, they just they're spoon feeding me? But sometimes you fall for it, and and it yeah. all depends on how well it's portrayed and how yeah. how it's sort of wrapped. And this type somehow I have no <laughs> idea how because thinking back, it it doesn't seem like it's penetrated, but it. It stuck with me and it dug deep and got but, to me. But it's interesting because it is subjective and clearly, you know, you two, not necessarily just that scene. But I mean, I'm, of... I think I'm firm. I think I'm firmly in the middle okay. between you two. Okay. But for me, it it really only started kicking off about an hour and a half in, mm. which was too late for me. I think. It, yeah, the build up up to the actual action, it, all of that stuff was. Uh, there were specific scenes, such as a lashing scene that was, and you and. Uh, a lot of almost cliche a lot of abuse and and I just kept thinking going the lashing scene in 12 years was done so much better than that or the scene where they're working on the fields or the scene where the master is being quite nice for a minute and then you know he's going to be a snide like there's it brings you up and then it felt like he was going through the checklist the tick list of like you said this it does feel like it subscribes to a certain number of tropes but then I thought this film I was I was pretty yawny uh, and it wasn't until the revolt finally happened, yeah. and there, and it was. I thought that was handled with actual grit, and that was when this film. I think we all it really came alive. That I can, saved it. I wholeheartedly me. disagree. I think ah, that's when it became Hollywood, and that's when I sort of switched off. Up until then, it was sort of this weird indie film, which of the likes I hadn't seen before, and I wasn't sure if that was a good thing or not. And then, and then the lashing happens, and then there's this revolt, and then the angel, and then everything yeah. just becomes really crisp and really kind of. A bit, a bit too passionate, and I mean, it's got to be somewhat, but it, it just went too glossy for me, and I was more than happy with where it was. But it was building, building, building. It was inevitably going to erupt. You would have known that that was yeah. coming, though. But then, but then you get your, your smoke machines on the go, but and then, you're like, but when, no when, what do we talk? Gun. Well, okay, and that's interesting because I was going to say, at, at what point are we having a problem with, or maybe me and, and you in this, in that instance, having a problem with the story or the film? Because and I don't know enough about the story to fully understand that the revolt that took place, which for me, that was the bit where I suppose I started to get a little bit of adrenaline going because it, things started to happen and I thought, okay, here we go. But 
and not not to go into too much detail in terms of what happens, but you know, there is a sense of liberation amongst them after they've had this have this revolt. But they've only got it via some really barbaric acts. Now I know they've had some terrible atrocities done to them, but they revolt in such a brutal way that it sort of dilutes any feeling of heroism that I had and any feeling of respect oh, and sympathy that, I had with them. I thought, crikey, right? Like they've they've really gone to town on. Yeah, but they should, yeah, but they should do. But not in a straight up warfare, like one on one kind of thing. It was like cold, it was cold blood. It, yeah, and it really men, was. Women and, and children. It, and you know, what? actually, maybe that is exactly the reaction I should be having. So I, I yeah, should be saying, you know what? Of course, they should be. Yeah, and maybe that is the reaction I should be having. And I'm not saying it was to, to the detriment of the film, but it made me. It really made me sort of sit up and. I was almost startled by that, and I thought, you know, what I I was I should really sympathise with what they've been going through, and I did for the first hour and a half. Then they went and and, and revolted, and um, they carried out the acts that they did, and I thought, oh, actually, that's horrible. What you know, they've they've done some terrible things, and maybe that's it. Yeah, we've gone back to the incendie, you know, from a couple of weeks ago, and we say, you know, actually, that is the cost of war. That is the cost of of, of the atrocity of keeping slaves in the first place. This is the passion and the hate that has been there's, building there's the army this is the outpouring there's the army hammer character where he's not really bizarre casting as well by the way he's I thought hammer. he was good though I was really I don't know because I suppose I've seen army hammer as such a polished he's, he's the classic sort of polished um, mm-hmm. Prince Charming sort of handsome yeah. Hero, isn't he? It's yeah. weird to see him. He doesn't play like fa- he was Fassbender's character yeah. to an extent, but he he doesn't have the intensity of Fassbender, though, does he? I no, think nowhere Fassbender, near. No. But uh, he's not supposed to, I suppose. But. Yeah, it's just not quite as because but, it's that thing of uh, the uh, the way what was it, the accepted norm of the time, I guess. Yeah, and, and you you said a few weeks ago how how would you you don't know how you would react in this situation, but you'd yeah. like to think we'd all be a bit Army Hammer, and you know everyone's sort of understands that the role that he plays in society and the role that they play in society but you know what at least army looks after us yeah and then he turns and every single white person in the film has done them wrong yeah, yeah. including him and they have a bone to pick you know they want revenge and right i, I rightfully right, so totally rightfully so what they but yeah because you what they've been through you know in in certain films where they always have like a in this we had a sort of i don't even know if he had a real job but he just there was a there was that the ugly dude from that that terrible film Little Children, who goes around just basically looking for stray sla- uh, stray slaves just to hunt. And it, it, in these movies, they always have someone that that niggles at you. He's always a villain, and you, he's always there. And you're always and you're always like, oh, I hope in the final battle, or I hope they get I hope they get their comeuppance. Yeah. And this, like, there was so many of those. You I wanted you wanted them all to have their heads lobbed off by the end. And I yeah. thought when it was then ultra violent, I thought that was quite refreshing because I thought a lot of this especially the early stuff compared to 12 years was a lot more polished a lot more sheened for an indie film it was very safe and it was not that pressing it didn't do anything remotely that hasn't been done before but then towards the end got some good hatchets out got some <laughs> some good some good chopping done and I thought that was uh, that was that was good <laughs> the good things though I thought we've already talked about the barbaric acts from the slaves in, in, in their revolt but also some of the you know the barbaric acts against them you know earlier in the film to to make us build sympathy for them and hatred for the for the the slave owners there's a scene involving some um dismantling of some teeth which is which is pretty had to look away yeah it, it's pretty um and the camera does you know yeah, to an it's been done a hundred times before and you and you, you know you're going to get that react they know yeah full it, well. it's it's doing exactly yeah it, you, you know why it's putting out there it still worked for yeah. me um there's there's obviously the the, the sort of the, the whipping scene there's the um Visible aftermath of an attack on the his lady friend, uh, as well, all doing the job that you know what they're there to do is to try and really build some 
sort of animosity between the audience and um, the slave owners to the point where you and the slaves are in the same perspective of justice needs to be done to these people. <laughs> yeah. And that's why I suppose I felt somewhat uncomfortable about the, the, the bit of closure that they got at the end was it just... Oh, you've already used the phrase ultra-violent and that's that... I think for me, I'd, I'd use too violent. So, and, and whether you use... Whenever you put two before or after, well, whatever it may be, that means it, it, it is too much. And I, th- I thought it, it was too much to the point where I then didn't feel the sympathy for the slaves anymore. I thought, gosh, you've gone too far here. No, but, it's great. But, but, but I don't know the story. <laughs> I haven't been a slave myself, so I can't possibly try and you know tell them what, what they should and shouldn't be doing in that circumstance. But that, for me, some of those scenes... No, they weren't. Let's be honest, they weren't violent enough. That's okay, just... fair enough. Um, and, it, and it's an inspirational you know, story and topic and hi- bit of history for us to... To learn about which I hadn't known about before I've heard you know 12 years and you, you know vaguely about slavery um, but I'd never heard of this uprising before or, or learned about it and that's why I suppose that's it's saving grace because for me as I've already said the first hour and a half was diabolically bad um, in conclusion as I'm sitting in the middle I would give it a light three um, the ending did bring it up I like violent films and that took this slightly above out of the mun, mundane bulk of this film. So, and it was yeah, it was quite, it was pretty well, pretty well acted on the whole. It was quite well put together, but it it was far from being anything remotely special. So, a light three. It's quite interesting that you think. Well, we've sort of touched on Nate being it's almost the weak link in a lot of parts. Like the yeah. directing yeah. was quite weak, and his acting capacity, to the others was not so good. It's difficult because he's obviously done an awful lot to get this film to where it needs to be, but oh, sometimes deserves... you want to take it out, don't you? You want to say, right, fair enough, you've written it, great. Yeah, you can star in it, but let's have a different, you know, someone different at the helm to, to direct this, who's got the chops, who's got the background. I forgot to mention, he did. He got this off the ground entirely on himself, and he mm. deserves yeah. commendation. I think it was £100,000 of his own personal capital to get the initial locations done. Um, and then he went round, I think, told the story to, um, like, to like I think, sports stars, wealthy, other actors, and raised 60% of the capital himself, then got the investments in. So he was, des- and he did say to his agents that he would not be acting in another film until he portrayed this character in a film. He wasn't like, oh, it has to be all done by me. But then he just got so in- enveloped by the project that he made it his own, and I think that does deserve some credit, all of the controversy aside. So four from me. James? Week two. I'm really looking forward to this one. This is a different beast. It's everything. just a very different film from what <laughs> we're used to. <laughs> from, from what we're used to and from, from what we're used to discussing. So my selection was the post-2000, which was the directorial debut by Andrew Budzikowski, as I think we're... We've been working on that for the last fortnight. Going to try and took two weeks to get there. Uh, funny, ha-ha. So, Boston, Massachusetts. Marnie, 23. Typical Generation X, slacker, out of college, directionless. Has no idea what she's doing in love, life, and frankly, everything else. Neither do her dorky, useless friends. That's It's 90 minutes of that, so... Uh, and this is notable for being, I think it's 2002. It's the, it's a genre. It's one of those that all the directors that then got put under this banner immediately rejected because it's 
pretty uncool, but they it's known as mumblecore. So we're talking super low budgets, imp- uh, amateur, and very often improvised acting without a script, other than very basic scenarios, and just basically a very low budget and kind of do-it-yourself aesthetic in, in general. Did you have much of a history of mumblecore going into this? Did you have expectations off the back of this being the start of a, its own subgenre? I don't think so. Uh, I know that sounds weird, but I suppose it's never really a genre I've seeked out. It's never it's never a genre that I've knowingly um, engaged in before. So this this is I would I would say it's the first for me when it comes to mumblecore. But I I wouldn't I don't know how confidently I could say that. The more commercial side now, things like all the Joe Swanberg films like Happy Christmas or Drinking Buddies. Technically, stuff like was Jeffrey lives at home. Jeffrey lives at home is mumblecore terrible. Not very good. Okay, film. I can safely say I haven't seen any of them. So safety, safety well not guaranteed. Just a load of tosh. Uh, Francis Ha. Oh, is so it's like Greta Gerwig. That kind Greta of Greta Gerwig. He's is the key. Is, is, queen, is the key is the mumble queen. Oh, okay, she, right. It's how, how she got into. Okay, everything. just for a bit of context. I do though. want to see Maggie's Plan. Actually, have you seen that? Oh, with um, Ethan Hawke. Yes, I have seen that. Is it good? It's all right. Okay, all right. This film did really make me appreciate production values if I'm honest oh I no know, I know. <laughs> oh no we've got a production values snob in the house well, yeah no goodness like gracious lo-fi oh. Oh. It's, it's hard when you're trying to make your own film on the two quid you've got in your pocket and all you've got is a 16 millimetre no. camera which is probably very expensive to it <laughs> it I, I know and it's, it's with regret that I say that in a way because I mean, and don't get me wrong it's an ironic title I didn't laugh no I, I did laugh once and that was when a like not even a character, just a cameo said he might be. He was thinking about entering the NBA draft. And it was just, <laughs> but it was like in the background. It's hilarious. It's sort of in the back. I'm not even sure. So did you notice that as well? Yeah. I wasn't sure if yeah. you, you were yeah, supposed so to notice. The that. cafe guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, oh, we did. Okay. Oh, there I was thinking. I was like, oh, I've, guys, have I got a gem for you? <laughs> when you watch this back. <laughs> yeah, that was the only part that really made me sort of crack up. But otherwise, it it feels stale and it feels unprofessional and amateur. And I know it is. I, I know. So maybe I, I've. You know, diagnosed it there perfectly, but it for me that I I did struggle with that, and and you've already mentioned you know, there is no direction in these characters. I don't mean that from a, a a film you know cinematic point of view. I mean in terms of their lives, there is no direction, and I that really frustrated me. It really I really struggled with that. It almost felt like you know this experiment of just leaving a camera on and and just see where it, the conversation. It's goes. developed from the American independent school of thought from the early nineties. It's come from stuff like. Slacker by Richard Linklater okay. and Clerks by Kevin Smith. It's those, that kind of real lo-fi, just need to get your first film done and then you'll see what happens. Uh, and it's, like, are you, uh, did you, uh, do you find things like Clerks? Or, Never seen Clerks. Or, uh, oh, mate. I know. Oh, but are you a fan of lo-fi independent cinema anyway? Yeah, no, Primer? I, I can. Yeah, Primer. I'd say that's Primer, really yeah. lo-fi. It's incredible. Yeah, that's lo-fi. really good at the start and then it just goes off into, I've had no idea what on earth happened in the end, but... Mm. No, I, no, I do. I really appreciate it. And I think, well, Coherence, for example, I watched that the other day. That's Mumblecore. Is it? Okay. I thought that was fantastic. I thought that was brilliant. And when I think about Link later, actually, and I appreciate he's probably evolved a little bit from that. But when I think about the Before trilogy, mm. I know I know that's probably not straight up Mumblecore, but the dialogue there... People actually do consider the Before trilogy as the, mo- the more developed, the more yeah. sheened, because it is just them walking around, yeah, it's creating so their own dialogue just chatting going walk around go down this avenue just and it, it may well be because in the before trilogy they talk about life and whether you're experiencing or whether you're experiencing or have experienced what they're talking about and what they're 
the philosophy that they're going behind. You can you can appreciate it, you can understand it, and therefore you run with it, or certainly I do. Whereas in this, I suppose, I did feel slightly nostalgic because clearly she's sort of post-uni or post-college and struggling with direction. She's not quite sure where she wants to go. So I, I suppose I slight, felt I, I felt slightly nostalgic about that. But she, it, it's just sort of that, that apathy and, as I said, that lack of direction, almost that arrested development, in a, not, yeah. not in the TV sense, but in the actual, you know, the phrase sense of just really unsure about what to do. Almost doesn't want to grow up. Well, not that they don't want to grow up, but can't seem to grow up and don't really know how to go about growing up but that, then, that is probably the most one of the most common themes in all of the they're all about these slackers and they're all about this kind of people and it i think it very unfairly to, i mean did you find it like pretentious because these films often get called pretentious and vapid and it's all about these hipstery not i don't necessarily think these characters are, uh, are especially hipstery but there's a lot of that's what's associated with the subgenre I really, that's interesting. I didn't think it was pretentious at all, actually. Oh, okay. I didn't get that vibe Good. at all. If you don't find Linklater pretentious, you're not going to find this pretentious. But with Linklater, I, I, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because Linklater, I'm thinking. Oh, He's come from the same guy, beginning as this. This is. This guy is so just talking on, on a level that I, I, I'm loving. You know, Linklater, the conversations they have in the Before trilogy and in Days of Confused and things like that, I just think, this is just. And I think that's one thing as well. Days and Confused, it's similar to this in the way that it, it, I know it's got a different set in terms of their college and stuff, but and everybody wants some, for example, but it's genuinely funny, like laugh out loud funny. This, I personally didn't get any comedy other than that one sort of throwaway NBA line. I didn't get any hint of comedy in this, not even a smirk other than, other than that line, which I think is probably where my biggest issue came from because I can understand when they've got no direction. If... I'm enjoying the ride and I'm enjoying experiencing what they're experiencing. Whereas in this, I didn't get any comedy from this at all. And therefore I didn't enjoy it. And because they had no, there was no means to the end. I was just like, I don't feel I got anything from this film. And like, you know, when you watch a film, you think I want to get, even if I hated a film, I want to have got something from the end of it. Mm. I really feel like I gained absolutely nothing from this hour and a half. Mm. For me, it was similar to, to Patterson. It, you're just watching someone's life happen and Although it, I don't think I really found it that funny. I'm not sure. Is it? Is it a comedy? It's 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 a drama. I mean, I I, I, I did. What I watched, is it called? Funny haha. I think it's a very like on the, not on the nose, but it's just kind of a like. She reminds me of like Daria. Yeah. Do you remember Daria? It's that kind of like almost uh, sarcastic. It's funny. Like you, can, it's hard. It's really hard to explain. Okay. Um. But but I, no, I watched I, it with Tom and we la- we laughed a lot. Yeah, but were you la- but there were parts where you were laughing at it. Like the guy who looks like me and no, the, that was the a... dancing guy in the background and it's yeah. Oh yeah, you're right actually. That guy yeah. The guy in the he, green shirt who yeah, looks like yeah, Robbie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Super. That was that was a classic. But no, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the ride. I thought I I felt like this was a good film and uh, I feel like you weren't really edging towards that conclusion. No, not to, I, I I will be honest. As I've already said, I've had a bit of a weird morning. I literally watched this just before I came to London. I, okay. I watched this three or four hours ago. So okay. it's still but even raw. So, as, still I, raw. as I was watching it, I really I felt like I understood Marnie. I, it's not very often that I can watch a coming-of-age film that, where the starring role is a, is a female, let alone feel like I've understood what mm. they're going through. And somehow, I have no idea how it was any different to, to ones I've already seen or to ones I didn't get but it just just hit me and it worked really well and I, I felt like 
I saw myself in, in parts of her and in the guys who were constantly chatting her up and the ones who were just really awkward and I, I just I understood it and I liked that about the film. I feel very, very similar. The director himself who plays uh, in this, someone that is who is persistently hitting on Marnie and trying to sort of figure out like none of them that's the the beautiful thing is they all exist in this this bubble it didn't it i read that it was in boston but you wouldn't have known right. um but you can tell that he's probably carried that character that he played with him internally like being a bit of a geek and try yeah. and really struggling socially to interact and the fact that they are all on level mediocre to poor actors means that because there wasn't one person who was like she is the more fleshed out and you get to see and she I think she is very good I don't believe she ever went on to do anything no she I mean she's fine but, but and that but that's as good as it gets but because they're all the same it keeps that realism and the way they communicate the way they talk over each other the way they talk about the mundane the way they are so icky and awkward around each other it's that rings true so much more than so many other films that, and that awkward date the, it's it's excruciating. Oh, it it's really so naturalistic and, and, but and we've raw, been there. but it is really awkward as well. Oh, it was so I think painful. some of the dialogue, not even just the date, I think it is quite awkward. And that I don't know whether that comes down to yeah. the way that it's done. The first but, time she meets, she meets a few characters for the first time, and there's kind of, oh, so how do you know, blah blah yeah. blah, and how do you know? And it, it is, it's not snappy, but is it capturing the awkwardness of when you are in those social situations and absolutely. you don't know those people? But then I also think. When, when I think back at it now, actually, and I think I'm, I'm I'm sort of discovering where where I am with this film now that I'm talking about it. You don't know anything about her at all, really. And even now, I don't know anything about her. You don't know anything about parents, family, friends, whether she's from there originally, what she's done, whether you know. You don't. You actually you don't get any exposition whatsoever. You are just with her in the here and now. And I suppose that's how they're living, aren't they? In the here and now, they're not really thinking too much about the future. But she just is sort of frustratingly sort of laissez-faire attitude about everything just so laid back would be would be putting it sort of mildly it's just she's so boring and, and dull I, I found like, there's no emotion there whatsoever I know she was talking about being emotional about this particular chap but I didn't she was just so oh, I just found her such a I didn't root for her at all. I, I wanted to like. I wanted to get on board. With her. I but did kind of. That's, I, what's, that's, that's She's very well intentioned. She's that's, nice. Not that. Not that's but, yeah. trying to win you round. But I think that is the beauty of these things. Like they, they, these are characters and these are people that you probably might recognise. But they're not. Birth of a nation. By the end, obviously, it's stirring and oh, they've had such hardship. And of course, then you want them to rise up. And that's a very. It's a more classical film. This is just goes about its own way. It's all. But but I still felt that it was done in such a way that you got the inner turmoil through the quite naturalistic performance and it made the very real and mundane feel exciting in a similar way that the reason why I thought Boyhood was so good. Obviously that had was more plot driven. Yeah. Obviously that knew exactly where it wanted to go with the characters. But the fact that you felt like at any moment, any real life, anything could happen. There could have been an incident. And in this, yeah, I thought even though it is it does stay very low key for the for the entire ninety minutes. It still felt interesting, exciting, and was definitely a journey worth going on. Does it have any okay. music in it? And it's and that not it's not always the case, but it's strictly diegetic. So just the music they're listening to at parties. There's no mm. score. There's no, and it's all it's just there. Wouldn't be able to afford it, would it? It's yeah. It'd be like well, Apple music. I think um, like you see on the YouTube videos when they can't get rights to anything, so they just throw on a. What they do, what they do in some of them is yeah, they just 
uh, some of the directors just play like that's the that's the lovely thing like they'll just play a bit of guitar they'll just get their mate to just record something just chuck it on felt like it could come under the, the dog me it's not to it's, it's I would say it's certainly come from very that, similar. that school of thought hasn't mm. it but if we're going to conclude, it spawned. There, there are, I think there are some stronger films, and now that they've become a bit more accepted, and from this, I think a lot of the style of American independent cinema has been sort of reshaped and crafted as a result. Things like Girls and Lena Dunham's debut, Tiny Furniture, which is an excellent Mumblecore film, I believe, came out of this, and I think it only served to show that anyone can do it, and if you try and do things a bit differently you don't need loads of money I thoroughly enjoyed it and I would have to give it four stars I really want to give it four stars but I think it's just really really strong three I it's just it's, it's eye opening I found it thoroughly eye opening and not only in the sense that you can make a film with very little script and very little money and come out with something which is very much watchable but also in its themes and I, I feel like the director really I'm not even going to try and pronounce his name really really did a did a sterling job with this fair enough yeah I think I, I can you know absolutely appreciate all, all the points you, you've both said and, and I think I do admire what this film is trying to achieve but I can only respond the way that I've sort of emotionally responded to it and for that reason it is a it is with deep regret I give it a two stars I think because there are some saving there are some saving graces to it but as I've, I've already taken you through I think there are enough issues with it that I have to I can't give it any more than a two stars may well be I, I watch it again and I appreciate it more but no two stars for now give drinking buddies a go okay uh, is Ken, Kendrick isn't it yes well that always helps Jimmy me so Jimmy, the Jimmy, um, Jimmy. classic the vintage was Quentin Tarantino's 1992 Reservoir Dogs which in in one of the most iconic I mean we we already know Tarantino has some iconic scenes but the the opening scene to this you know finds us with a following a group of smartly dressed individuals shall we say all known by colours you know Mr. Uh, Mr. Colour uh, of one kind talking uh, at a table uh, and it turns out to be a pre-heist meeting uh, and, and from there you are very quickly transported out of that rather jovial meeting gathering you know full of camaraderie to Tim Roth's character sort of horrifically squealing in the back of a, a back of a car uh, as we find out the heist didn't go too well and there is suspicion of perhaps a setup. Ooh, foul play as a mole, a rip, a rip. got a rip. Ah, oh, but what an opening uh, dialogue. I mean, yeah, I don't. Uh, I mean, about, tip, about yeah. Madonna and tips. I mean, it's just, and I mean that that credit sequence from the very from the get go. You've I mean, we are obviously of a certain age where we would have seen other Tarantino films first, but can you imagine seeing that for the very first time, being one of the first audiences? I mean, that opening scene alone changed everything, everything. Like there, there, I don't. There have been very, very few dramatic films since, just because of the influence that that film and then the, that director had on dialogue alone. How does he get dialogue on point? So it's I, just I don't absurd. Understand. I don't. But I, it, it's it's not just like we were talking about Funny Ha Ha just a few moments ago. They he doesn't just he he has the tangents. He has people talking about something and then suddenly going off in a completely other direction. 
You think but it's, it's directionless, yeah. but then he brings it back around and it's witty and it's, and it's relevant, it's pop culture, say, it's oh, snappy, it's... it adds character. There's, I mean, he is renowned. I mean, he is pretty much the best, if not one of the best, writers of, of dialogue. And scenarios, I mean, this as well. I mean, I think there have been <clears throat> a few examples, but the heist film without the heist, I think. Yeah. That that's what what makes this. It's it's all genius. It was all genius on the page, and the execution is quite good. But it's it's all there. It, and it it really the, the film is does not suffer a detriment from not seeing the heist. If anything, it's far better. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's almost like you know, well, I think Fincher does a classic where actually a psychological thriller where you don't see the murder is so much more powerful. You know, not seeing the atrocity and not seeing the, or having your own image in your mind of what what happened to an individual rather than actually seeing the murder victim, is is so much more powerful, and I, I you find that with this as well. You know, not seeing the heist, and but from from that perspective, we're sort of gradually, sort of reintroduced to all the characters, and they sort of amongst themselves sort of take th- take them through their account of how 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 the heist went, and but we never really see the actual heist itself. We just see their perspectives of where it went wrong or I suppose subsequent to when it went wrong how they reacted to it uh, and you sort of you begin to the mystery sort of begins to unravel or let's say mystery but you know it, it unravels and things escalate and it's such a simple idea but it, it just knocks it out of the park again and I think you know he, he's gone on to do some most recent anyway some films that are, are you know three hours ish or, or close to three hours this is just so efficient and and so pure and so quick, all pretty much in real time. Pure, pretty the, much the in real time. Word for because this is his purest. It's of all the Tarantino isms that go mm. on to be coined. This is pure everything. It's just everything that it's his mission statement. It's what he set out to do then for the rest of his career, and it's it's, it's classic QT, isn't it? I mean, he's got the music, which is just it's one of if not the best point. popular music soundtracks. That between that yeah. and Pulp Fiction, yeah. <laughs> and we've always said the dialogue, but also. And I think we've already said as well, but just memorable scenes. I mean, <laughs> we've already talked about the tipping and, and that, but... The ear. The ear. Or the yeah. lack of the, the ear. ear. Yeah, I Apparently mean that, people at Sundance were peeling away and, that fo- just, you know, relieving, going, why did you cut, Why did you show that guy's ear being cut off? And he's just like, watch it again. And that, it sounds so obvious now because it's so much part of pop mm. culture. And he, but he, it, he made it look easy. Again, we talk about... We talked about speed a couple of weeks ago. Where we talked about you know that that jumping scene, the bus jumping scene was is a is a scene that I will always remember from that film. And if anything, I remember that scene over the film with Quentin Tarantino. I mean, his films are phenomenal, and yet that whenever I think of one of his films, there will always be a scene that will immediately come to mind. And in this film, it is that stuck in the middle with you, you know, shimmying around yeah, Michael, Michael Madsen. Madsen and cutting off the ear, and you just think it's just one of the. I mean, a scene that is supposed to be filled with horror. Actually, it has that soundtrack, and you just, <laughs> it just takes you to another place. And I just think, I don't know how he does it. You know, it, it, this is pretty much done in real time, and, and with all of those sort of films that uh, that I'm sort of unraveling in real time, it relies heavily on on the dialogue, maintaining the pace, maintaining the momentum, and and it does, and it does. And for me, I watched Hateful Eight the other day for the first time, which for me is probably his worst. And it's definitely his worst film, I think, in my opinion. And that's about two and a half hours, and the dialogue isn't as on point. And, and I find that that's, that's the issue with Tarantino. If he gets the dialogue on point, I could watch 10 hours of a film, film of his. But as soon as it goes elsewhere, which in Hateful Eight it did, it, it, it went to one side. Whereas for this, everything, it just it's so perfectly wound. Mm. So th- this is an unquestionable, perfect masterpiece. Wouldn't you agree, Robbie? 
Absolutely not. Uh, how you can sorry? how you can say all this stuff and then not not even acknowledge the fact that the final half an hour exists is is beyond me. <laughs> the first sixty minutes, I completely agree. He, I don't know. People should show the opening. Write this down. <laughs> people should show the opening sixty minutes in media studies and say this is how you make a film. The dialogue's important. There are moments where the framing, and I can't really display. <laughs> verbally but uh, you've got the guy on the floor you've got the guy in the chair you've got a guy standing up you've got a guy sat on there's one where a new character comes into the scene and, and it, it comes there's, there's, there's I think there's three people in the scene yeah. and it slowly comes out uh, to the point where you then suddenly have this fourth person character and you just pause it right there and it's just it's just an art it really it, is it, it's it, just a picture every frame of painting very much needs to be said with this film but then, yeah, it just loses its way. Well, it just loses. How, at what, what point can you it, reveal how? Is it plot-wise? Or? No, no, it just loses everything that it had. The snappy dialogue goes. The the cool framing goes. The the tension just sort of lulls into nothingness, and then there's a sort of crescendo at the end. It, for, sort of crescendo well, at the end. Something that you will, something that you already know, and it's no, you don't. No, no. you do. No, you do. No, no, no. I know the bit you're talking about in terms of who this. Not yeah. the snitch, but who, who you know, who the mole perhaps is. You, you do know that because you, because it does go through everyone's backstory, all the relevant players' backstory. Yeah, because you it, do know who it happens, is. It goes, but and that's one issue I did have with this film. Harvey Keitel's character has a very strong allegiance to one of the characters, sort of unjustifiably so, not unjustifiably so, but then, then that comes, that is threatened by. A, a, a character that Harvey Keitel has known for decades, and yet he sides with this character that he he's, he hasn't known for a very very. He's, he hasn't known him for because more than things, a couple of hours. Because things didn't go. That's the beauty of it. Because things didn't go to plan, and there has been bloodshed. These people are they are shaken. These cr- trained should be proper professional criminals. They mm-hmm. are shaken, and it just shows that even if they've done it a hundred times, they didn't think of that, and then as a result. They make mistakes because you can always plan, and I think it's been done in Rope, X amount of films, The Perfect Murder, uh, Dial M for Murder. But it all just goes, but it, it can unfold, it can go wrong. And this just show again, is just another great example. And there we are sitting saying how great the film is for not showing certain parts, mm-hmm. like the heist. And then it, it feels the need to go back and explain itself and explain the build up. And Although again, it doesn't show the heist; it shows the preliminary, and you don't you don't need it. You really didn't. It didn't need. That it's only at ninety all. minutes. It's you you do need that. It's it makes it a more. Do you mean like the the backstory of some of the characters? I complete. I this was my second time of watching it. I completely forgot the last half hour existed, and on second viewing, think think it shouldn't. I I forgot they went through their recruitment. I forgot that they had that. Where they show some of how how they came to be in Joe's crew, I forgot about that. And I, I, to an extent, I think maybe because my memory served me that way, I probably could have done without that. I didn't really need that. But no, I, I think the last half an hour is is key, and I think it, it does it, it, f- it finishes off you know a, a masterpiece in many in, in many ways. I mean, it, it, it's like a it's like in the warehouse, it's like a play. it's like four angry men in a way. I mean, it's it's it's, it's like a play at that point. It's so the dialogue between those those four in there, and just the the tension as well between between them is just off the scale it's just fantastic yeah, and then it goes and spoils it all by saying something stupid like here's another half hour of nothingness and what a cast eh how did he get all of them Steve Buscemi I mean but I think he the steals one, the film he, he does yeah, he does yeah, yeah. Uh, you know totally. in an ensemble cast he is definitely the creme de la creme 
there's it's Ross so refreshing good. and rewatching it again and again it's just it reminds you why I mean it was in my top 10 of all time for so long and it did get knocked out this year unfortunately it's so inspiring and it it's you could even forget about a lot of like I understand that you might have a slight grievance but I think that the there's enough going on in the first sort of hour alone even I mean I don't disregard the last half an hour but if you were it still just does so much I understand you're trying to judge it as an overall film and obviously if it's something isn't adding enough or building on what you've already seen then of course you should in your own mind knock it down but it's it's so smart and it's so one of the coolest films ever made and you can't uh, is it the the suits is it the set the obviously the soundtrack of not that popular songs that have now become ingrained in in pop culture it's it's perfect it's five star film and there's no re- i mean i mean only jackie brown betters it but it's just it's just perfect yeah i, I don't think i don't think it's quite perfect but i think it's good enough to be five stars i can forgive a five star film a poor final 10 but a poor final half an hour a star every 10 minutes. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. What are you going to give it? No, I'm not going to go for a two. James looks worried. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> 100% a three-star film. It's no more and it's no less. Ooh. I was quite concerned about saying that to you before watching it again. Uh, but no, it only hammers it home. I, I mean, this is the guy who gave Zodiac three stars, isn't it, as well? Yeah, rightfully so. I feel people Justified. are probably going to start just ignoring your ratings you know you've given Zodiac a three <laughs> Reservoir Dogs a three when, I think when, it's when, game over when both <laughs> of your other halves listen to this podcast and they turn around and say you know what I agree with Robbie then you know the, the annoying thing <laughs> is they probably would actually with Zodiac and Reservoir Dogs they would probably actually probably see three as generous with those two films balance of opinion I'm offering no, it's good. I I think no, I, like, good. Good. I like I'm it. Really, I like it. I like you. So next week, who's uh, I'm on new release? Who's choice? Me, James. Um, and I'm going. I mean, it's slim pickings. I mean, it seems to always be when I pick. But they also have an opening. It's very good. Very good. Oh, so cheesy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's a friends joke, mate. You, uh, you brought. I bet friends. you bloody loved Friends, didn't you? I've seen it. Lovely all. little sitcom. I've seen it all. Uh, slim pickings but I'm going to go for the Jennifer Lawrence Chris Pratt vehicle Passengers which is a film set in space I haven't seen many films with that setting so I thought I'll open it up to you guys see if you've seen any other films that are set in space and that is the theme space going to have to rack my brain to think of some space space I'm going to go for the not so cult classic Moon. Oh, you did go for Moon. As the post 2000. And I'll go for the 1959, (laughs) (laughs) could be, could potentially be horrific, Edward Best Worst Film, Plan 9 from Outer Space. Is, Is Edward two names? Yes. So it's not Edward? It's Ed. So his name's Edward Wood? Wood. Oh yeah, Edward Wood. It's yeah, yeah. Would, no, I should right, it's yeah. short for. It it's, might be Edwin, but yeah, I'm not too sure. But. Um...